The Spin-Off Podcast Network. Are you making the most of your KiwiSaver investment? Generate is an award-winning KiwiSaver provider with a track record of strong long-term performance. Making a smart decision now could add tens of thousands of dollars by the time you reach retirement. Book a no-obligation chat with a Generate KiwiSaver advisor today at generatekiwisaver.co.nz slash advice. A copy of the product disclosure statement is available at generatekiwisaver.co.nz. The issuer of the scheme is Generate Investment Management Limited and, of course, past performance does not guarantee future returns. Raising capital or taking your business to the world? Investment Fix has everything you need to make it happen. This season, we're exploring the US market, the opportunities it offers, what it takes to grow a business there, and the best way to approach investors. The Investment Fix podcast. Tune in today. and welcome to The Good Citizen, a monthly podcast about making better cities that's brought to you by Britomart, the nine-block precinct in the heart of downtown Waterfront, Auckland, where good ideas and good citizens are always welcome. I'm your host, Jeremy Hansen, and today my guest is a woman who's leading innovative housing initiatives for Ngati Whātua Ōrake, developments that the rest of Tāmaki could learn from as it attempts to tackle the city's housing crisis. Anahira Rāwari, ngamahi ki a koe. I wanted to talk to you first about the many Ngāti Whātua Ōrake development projects that are going on, but first to talk about Kāinga Tuatahi, which is a housing development for Hapu members that you completed in 2016. And I wanted to, if you could begin by talking about how that innovative project came about. Sure. Um, in Ōrake, um, housing's been a huge um Kaupapa for Ngāti Whātua as a hapu, um, and we're really fortunate to have um, land available to us on our papakainga in Ōrākei. Um, around 2013, um, there was more of a drive to build some more homes, papakainga homes, on Ōrākei whenua, and with that um, was born Kainga Tuatahi, which means like the first place or the first home. Um, kainga was really special um, in that traditionally what we had done on Ngāti Whātua lands was either a licence to occupy um, or we had leases on the land. So um, this was different in that it actually was the first time Ngāti Whātua Rake was the developer of a project on behalf of its people. So Whairawa, which is the commercial arm, uh, we were the developer on behalf of 30 whānau that were going to move into these homes at Kainga Tuatahi. So um, that was really different for us. And um, I suppose if we think back, firstly, um, we only had 33 homes on our papakainga. That was in 1951. Um, those were houses that were built for us by the Crown. And our people shifted from Okahu Bay up onto Kitty Minor Street into those then state houses. Um, shift forward really quickly to 1978. We then took those houses back off the crown and they became Ngāti Whātua homes uh, for our whānau. Shift forward a little bit um, to 2000 and f- oh, sorry, 1996 uh, would be Ngāoho Street, which was a licence to occupy um, sort of development. So that's where Ngāti Whātua still retains ownership of the land. 
uh, and we provided licence to occupiers for whānau to build at their own cost their own homes on that plot of land. Um, we also did the same type of arrangement in 2008 um, down on Kiti Street, just as we're coming up from Okahu Bay, which is also a licence to occupy arrangement, where whānau would be going to a ballot process for a plot of land, and then they would be responsible for building their own homes. Uh, move forward to where we are now, 2016, with Kainga Tuatahi, that was really different in that Fairawa. Um, went through an entire design process for uh, two sites to build 30 homes for 30 families. And they ranged from two bedrooms uh, to four bedroom homes, um, with the four bedroom homes being able to be converted into a five bedroom house. So the garage was fully insulated. Um, it can be, uh, there's provisions there to add showers um, should we need. And that was all about the intergenerational living component. So um, that's what we have there um, up on Kupe Street at the Kaingatuatahi development. This was a medium density development which until recently Aucklanders have been famously resistant to. What was the what were the desires of your own hapu members uh, when it came to asking them what they wanted in these homes? Yeah that's a really interesting question. Um, I suppose even in Orake we're used to having the Kōraika dream. Um, our previous decisions that were made around housing opportunities for our people all came in the form of a licence to occupy on a plot of land. So that's what we were used to. Um, so I suppose moving forward to this medium density housing, it was very different. Um, it's a, it was a different way to look at housing. I think looking at the wider Ngāti strategy, we have land, but if we were to house all of our people on our land, um, that would quickly run out if we continued with the licence to occupy model. So the medium density was our first uh, first go at seeing whether or not we could develop something that's tasteful, that meets our cultural values on our land, um, for our for our whānau. So I think that's, it did take time and consultation and, you know, maybe over a year's worth of um, trying to embed this medium density housing idea within um, the whānau that were interested in purchasing a home. And what has been the response of the whānau members that live in those homes now? Do they understand medium density or have there been teething problems in those areas? Um, definitely, I think um, I, I live in one of those homes, so I totally um, grasp on to the fact that if I want my children to be able to live on our whenua, these are the types of decisions that um, we have to accept as the way forward. Um, if we were to continue with like my grandmother's house, which is a huge section, um, one of the first houses, first 33 homes um, up on Kitiwana Street, we would quickly run out of land and I might not have a house if we continued that way of living and thinking. Um, so I think people have come around to the fact that this might be um, not the only way, but one of the ways that we have to change our thinking when it comes to housing. Um, we recently did a, a hapu housing survey, which also gave us some really good data about where's, where people's thinking is. And um, overwhelmingly, people are still would still prefer a standalone home on a quarter acre section, which is understood. So I think 
the challenge for us is actually the conversation amongst our whānau, hapū, um, about the impacts of that, um, of having standalone homes and the impact, the, the change that we can see in the future if we adopt a medium, a, a conversation around medium density housing. Going to Utahi has 30 units, correct? And yes. How did you decide which hapū members were going to get the rights to purchase the leasehold properties? Yeah, that's a really good question and something that comes up all the time is process um, and how open we are with that process. So it was really important that we had a really um, transparent way um, of doing the allocation. Um, so one of the things that we did with Kainga, so you know, first off you have to be a Ngāti Whātōrake member uh, to, to have gone into the ballot for one of these homes. Um, you had to be able to uh, pay for a market rental at that time, um, and that was just the gauge. You know, our, one of the barriers actually that we identified when we were going through this process of developing Kainga Tuatahi was the it was the deposits. So at that time, the deposits were twenty percent. So twenty percent on a house in Orake in 2016 was over $200,000. So that's a huge um, barrier. I think it's a huge barrier for everyone, not just Ngāti Whātua So what we were able to construct, um, because Ngāti Whātua was the developer, we were able to drop those deposits to a 5% of the build cost. So that um, in itself, and you didn't necessarily have to have your 5%, at the day of putting your name forward. So, you know, it was a demonstration of can you can you show me that you can get that 5%. Um, so the way that we could influence the financial component, I think, was not only a hand up, uh, but a relief. And also, um, you know, a nod from the hapu, from Ngāti Whātuarake, that, you know, we are serious about getting our whānau into warm, new, dry, safe homes. Um, so that um, component of the 5% deposits was huge for us. Um, that also meant that we were able to see almost 65, I think 65 or 70% of first home owners um, move into this development. Um, lots of families, uh, lots of younger families. Um, and, you know, I think that's... Um, that was amazing uh, to see a diverse range of um, families move into this development, but committed um, and you know, committed to, to living in Orake, I suppose. It's interesting, isn't it? Because those problems you talk about with raising the deposit are shared by every, you know, uh, prospective home buyers in every part of the country. And yet what you're saying is that Ngāti Whātua Orake had to um, create its own development model um, to grant the hapū members the financial possibility of buying these homes. It kind of shows up the shortcomings of the existing banking system, right, that you weren't able to figure out a solution within that. Yeah, um, I think that's one of the beauties of uh, the way hapū, are hapū and iwi um, are able to adapt to crises, I suppose, of the time. So for us, we knew that um, at that time we had to build some houses um, and it was good for us to do that. You know, then comes the how are you going to fund it question, you know, and um, 
no one was really forthcoming with funding or you know um, options to or grants major grants that we could utilize um, and we knew we wanted to build some quality homes uh, so that they were going to last for a long time um, on our land and the only way we could really get around some of these barriers was to fund it ourselves so in a sense we have become our own bank in that way to make sure that we've got this um, solid asset for our whanau and for our community. So we're really proud of um, that that component. You've said already that you consult extensively uh, with Hapu members and whanau groups all the time, but also particularly the people that were buying these units. At the same time, you have medium density units, which are by necessity a kind of fairly repetitive and tight format. And you were working with Stevens Lawson Architects on the development of these units. How did you manage to funnel the individual buyer's desires for a home tailored to their needs with the pretty robust requirements of a medium density development to be repetitive and therefore more economical to build? Yep. Um, I think consultation, yes, there had to be a line at some point that was drawn um, where we, to reach the economical benefits of a medium density build, that there was some alterations or changes that we just could not make. Um, that's not to say that whānau that were purchasing them couldn't do them post the purchase, but prior, you know, we, we were just focused on finishing the build as they were. I think um, one of the interesting things is I'm not sure that there's too many of the whānau living there that have made major alterations internally. Um, so, you know, the, I think the layout um Cultural, cultural things were taken into account when we did the layout internally and externally. Um, what do you mean by that? What specifics are there in the layouts that were tailored to those families? Sure. So open spaces. So, you know, everything sort of open plan, um, especially in the terraced homes. You know, they're all very open plan, um, the nine terraced homes that we have there. Um, in terms of the bigger homes, the four bedrooms, you know, even they are... Um, the sort of open plan, catering for big whānau. I think that's one of the things that came through earlier on in the pieces that our families are quite big. Um, me, I have four children. So, you know, we have we have houses or need houses that can cater for four children and possibly, you know, f- f- mum and um, sisters, four kids as well. So, you know, that was always taken into consideration. Things like uh, the way that the design's laid out, you know, we're able to see our children almost wherever they are on the development. Um, of course, you know, toilets not to be near the kitchen, that's sort of like given. Um, but also we've got um, double glazed windows throughout the... So everything inside is modern. You know, we've got double glazed windows, we've got uh, passive... Uh, open ventilation um, so you know the need for example you know you open one door open the other door and there's actually a really nice breeze that comes through the house so it's the ventilation uh, thing there but we've also um, fully insulated and we've also from the technology side um, you know one of the things that we explored earlier on is what's really important to new home owners when they go into you know, take on this big responsibility of a mortgage um, and everything that goes with a brand new house. And so we looked at um, 
we looked at solar panels. So every house has solar panels, 10 solar panels per house. Um, and then each house, we were the first residential development in the world to have the Tesla power bat- uh, power wall batteries um, installed within this residential development. So we were really lucky um, to have been selected to trial that technology. And, um, you know, just following on from that, one of my cousins who lives in the development, she got her bills down to her electricity bills in one month down to $8. So, you know, the way that these new builds and new technologies actually mean to an individual is huge. You know, that you're only paying $8 for a month's worth of uh, power, you know, is amazing. And so we've all been able to share in the benefits of this new technology, new way of thinking and the ongoing living costs um, and trying to keep those down for our families. One of the ways of course that you were able to make the houses more affordable for your hapu members is that they're on leasehold land, not freehold and it made me think about people's obsession with owning land um, in all parts of New Zealand and how if you take that part of the equation out then houses end up being dramatically cheaper. Was this an issue that you needed to talk your own hapu members through or did they understand that because it's their papakainga? Generally speaking, um, Ngāti Whātōrake understand that the land belongs to all of us. So it's not um, an individual's uh, right to own a piece of land on the papakainga. That belongs to all of us and we are all very aware of that. So the leasehold issue wasn't really an issue for us because, as I explained before, the licence to occupy scenario is all the same. So, you know, when you you make a commitment to live on your papakainga, um, you also make a commitment to giving back to the community, but also that that land belongs to everyone around you. And, um, you know, that's something that we are so lucky um, to have, given that Orake is one of... You know, we're only seven minutes away from the city. Great job opportunities, um, transport systems, you know. So the whole living in the area is just brings so many more benefits, you know, not to mention that we're 200 metres away from our marae. You know, so the connection back to our cultural identity and language um, and community, it's, you know, all of the... Um, I mean, that's what grows in a great, strong individual, is all these components. You're now planning the next stage of the housing development on the Papakainga. What does that next stage consist of at the moment? Yeah, so um, what we're doing differently this time is um, we've actually we've deployed um, a hapu housing survey to actually go and ask whānau what's important to them. Um, there's a few things that we've addressed in this survey, uh, which is really around housing aspirations. Um, what's important to them? Is it important to own a house? Or would you feel you know, just as fulfilled by renting a house? You know, Some of those questions we've... Um, and I think the media has a lot to play in this, is that we assume that home ownership is the pinnacle um, of you know, people's housing aspirations. So what we've done is sort of turn that around and we've gone and asked the whānau, what is it, you know, that makes a great home, a great community, um, you know, a house? What are your housing, actual housing requirements? And how can we help you to reach reach those goals? 
Um, so we've taken a different spin on how we did it the first time around, whereas the first time we were thinking we need to build houses. You know, the house was the uh, goal. We need to house our whānau. But this time around, taking a bit more of a holistic view um, on what's going to work for our members. Because, you know, um, Ngāti Whātōrāke has five, over 5,000 uh, hapū members. That's including our babies. Um, so, you know, we're all over the world not just Orake, not just Auckland, but you know our members are all over the world, and we need to be really um, clear that these opportunities are real for them if they want to move home to the Papakoinga. So we've we've taken a bit of a data centric approach to see how we can frame um, our next lot of Papakoinga housing. And so, what have Hapu members been telling you so far about their housing needs and desires? Yeah, um, I think. I mean, two of the key findings from the house, from the survey is so uh, financial literacy and affordability. So I think those are the two key things. And um, the real bonus with um, knowing this information now is that we can really plug those gaps. So I'm already having conversations with um, some great organisations that can help us to... Uh, plug those gaps around the financial literacy, around the process, and also around the affordability. So if we think about a build, say, being between 12 and two years, not hypothetically, you know, that's uh, two years where we're able to really uh, work with the whānau uh, to get them up to, one, understanding the financial literacy component of uh, purchasing a home and uh, what goes along with that, insurances, rates, and how all of that is uh, incorporated into a brand new build, but also um, how they can make sure that they can af- Put in steps and put steps in place uh, so that affordability isn't completely out of reach. So there are key steps that we can take to make sure that our whānau are going on a really healthy and inspirational journey uh, when it comes to purchasing a home. And the, would they be as comfortable with renting as ownership itself? Are you going to cater to both of those desires, or have they come down pretty clear on one side? Uh, I think what is clear for us as a hapu is that we need to think. Uh, we need to push the barriers and be a bit more innovative as well. So Kainga Tuatahi was uh, a mortgage, um, that was a mortgage development, so there's 30 mortgages with 30 families. Um, I think what we now know is that we need to be, um, we need to think innovatively about how we frame the rest of our developments moving forward. So, you know, 30 mortgages is, is great for 30 families, but actually, if we were to do another one, what does that really look like? And we need to do a bit more exploration in that space, whether it's rentals, whether it's long-term lease, whether it's a mortgage component. So there's a bit more that we need to sort of analyse within the information that we've received back. You've also purchased a number of Housing New Zealand-owned houses, or that were owned by Housing New Zealand, near the Papakainga. What are your plans for those houses that you've purchased, the old housing stock, if you like? Sure. So... Um, we're really fortunate that we have uh, we have 68 ex housing New Zealand homes um, that we own closer sort of the Marae end of Cooper Street, and those homes are all rental homes. Um, our tribal development company from Maya, they are a community housing provider, and so we rent um, those houses to our whānau, So that's another criteria for us, you have to be a member to be able to rent any of our homes so that's, you know, if you sort of do the math, that's 30 mortgaged homes that we've um, 
that we've got for our whānau. We've got 68 rental homes um, for our whānau. We have 33 of the original homes from 1951 that um, our whānau live in. And then we have um, you know, uh, probably about 25 in the licence to occupy uh, realm. So we are really heavy into housing and making sure that our whānau are housed um, because we know the benefits of having um, a, so- a stable home um, close to your on your papakainga, close to your marae, what they can do for an individual. So we um, take that really seriously. Um, moving forward, um, on Kupe Street, we have had the opportunity to uh, purchase some of the remaining Housing New Zealand stock on Kupe Street. Um, there needs to be more conversation amongst the hapu about what we're going to do with um, this opportunity. Um, what we know for sure is that... Um, this land is really important to us and we need to make sure that the decisions that we make are not only for us today but also for our for our whanau uh, in the future, our children and our children's children. The more you talk about it, the more it strikes me how applicable everything you're doing and everything you're learning is to the Auckland and the New Zealand housing crisis in general. And I wondered if you have formal or informal ways that you're sharing that knowledge and, if, and how applicable you think the lessons you're learning are to the wider market as Auckland tries to address the shortage that it has? Sure. Um, we do, I've hosted quite a lot of um, government agencies and groups um, up at Kainga. Uh, I think, you know, from what I see is that um, there's so much pressure on the housing market that people are looking for different ways of doing things, even in government. <laughs> um, and so, you know, we're always open to share um, because we think, um, you know, we think what we've done to be able to get 30 families and homes, I mean, here's a snapshot. So what was on the land where we have built Kaingatuatahi were 10 homes and probably 20 individuals living on in those that group of homes. What we have now is 30 homes, 145 people living on that land. So, you know, the increase, um, you know, when you look at the benefits of of a new development and what it can bring back to your community and all of the social outcomes that we've seen, um, you know, people can only grow from that and we're not trying to hold all of that to ourselves because, you know, we do think that there are, you know, there are things that people might want to take and might not want to take at all. But, you know, we're always open to share this if it means for a better Auckland, better Aotearoa, better housing for Māori, you know, so we're, we're down for that. At the same time as you're doing these developments for your own hapu members, you're also running an investment vehicle that is investing in um, construction um, and delivering new developments um, for the commercial market. How do you balance out the needs of those two things, um, or or do they exist quite separately within Gati Fatua Ōrake? Yeah, it's funny because they are separate, but they are the same. So, you know, the way in 2012 when we settled our treaty settlements, um, we got the opportunity to purchase some ex-Navy uh, blocks on the North Shore. Um, so when we did purchase those, you know, there was um, a desire for us to develop those for for commercial purposes. Um, so whilst they are commercial and it's in the second best location in Auckland. <laughs> <laughs> After Orake. <laughs> After Orake. Um, you know, that... 
those developments, um, what we see come out of those are for our whanau. It's for our people back in Oraki. And I think we always need to be clear um, amongst ourselves that you know the treaty settlement process was to allow us to take control of our future and that was um, our cultural, economic, um, tribal narratives and this is one part of that where the commercial developments, you know, what we see, the fruits of that labour will be applied to our 5,000 members across the world, wherever they are. Anahira, thanks for sharing your experiences and your knowledge with us today. It's been a real pleasure speaking to you. Thank you very much. And thanks everybody for listening to this episode of The Good Citizen. It's a podcast brought to you by Britomart at the heart of downtown waterfront Auckland, a place that welcomes good citizens and good ideas. We'll be back next month with more good citizens talking up great ideas for the future of Tamaki. Thanks for listening in the meantime. Matewa. Ready to rediscover the joys of cycling? With over 300 kilometres of cycle paths across Tamaki Makoto, jumping on your bike and going for a ride is such a fun way to discover the city from a different perspective. Cycling is getting more and more popular across Auckland, so now's a great time to join the hype and give cycling a go. Head to at.govt forward slash cycling to find your nearest cycleway today. Kia ora e te iwi, te Butler here, podcast manager at The Spin-Off. If you enjoy listening to our podcasts, consider supporting our mahi by signing up to become a Spin-Off member at thespinoff.co.nz slash donate. The Spin-Off Podcast Network.